How do you define a successful life? If your answer can be summarized as earthly excellence and sacred significance, you're at the right place. Join host Stephanie Smith as she shares three keys unlocking a life of lasting purpose. Learn yourself, love God, and live connected. You'll become smarter about yourself, skilled in human dynamics, savvy about the Christian faith, and strengthened to pass this wisdom on to upcoming generations. And now let's get started. Hello, and welcome back to Life's Key 3, where we talk about life's most important aims, learn yourself, love God, and live connected. And how do we know to do this effectively? Well, this year, we are focusing on walking through significant passages of Scripture because that is where we find truth to know how to live these aims with intentionality and not just with a lot of good effort or sincere desires, but actually in ways that are going to be aligned with how we are designed and how life has been designed to work. I want to remind you, if you haven't already, make sure to visit the website, stephaniepresents.com. You can check out speaking engagements that I offer there and sign up for highlights, a weekly newsletter that is going to strengthen you as an individual. And if you're a parent or caregiver and that capacity as well. All right, so we are continuing in the Gospel of John. This is one of the books in the New Testament, and it is a story about Jesus' life, a record of Jesus' life while he was here on earth, and it's a little bit different than the other three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Those are known as the synoptic Gospels, and that just means that there's a similarity in their styles. John writes from a little different perspective. And so we are going to be looking here at the end of chapter four and then at the beginning of verse five. And we're focusing today on two different encounters that Jesus has with people when they experience healing. So the first one is when Jesus hears the, when Jesus heals the official's son. There was a person from the city of Capernaum and his son became incredibly ill and sick. And so this official, rather than just sending a servant to deliver a message, he goes himself. You know, sometimes when something is really important, you just got to go by yourself. And sometimes when you have a one-on-one meeting with somebody else, you know if they show up and not just a proxy that they have, that can be an indication of the value that they are placing on this. And so this man comes to Jesus directly himself. And he says to Jesus, I have a son and he is very, very sick. And I want you to heal him. This son was so sick. He was almost ready to die. And Jesus says something that really could be taken to be rather offensive. He doesn't say, oh, I am so sorry to hear that. Of course, go home. Your son will be healed. No, no, no. He says something that we can read and kind of go, ah, that seems a little brusque because what he says is, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Now, we don't know for certain if there were a lot of other people around listening to this or if Jesus was just engaged in a private conversation with this man. But imagine that response for a moment, all right? You go to Jesus or you, you go to someone for help and you say, hey, I am in a desperate situation here. I am about ready to lose my beloved child. They are ready to die. And somebody comes back 
to you and says something about, well, you know, I mean, unless you just get X, Y, Z, you know, you're not really going to believe that, that I'm a good person that, or that I care about you. How would you respond to that? Well, this man's response shows what is true about his heart. He does not take offense. He does not get up in arms. He does not start defending himself and say, uh, 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 no, no, Jesus, no, I, that's not true. That's true about everybody else, but that is not true about me. He doesn't get angry. He doesn't retaliate. He doesn't, he doesn't kick sand at Jesus and say, I came all the way down here. I, I stepped away from my position and my responsibilities. I didn't send a servant. I came down here for myself, and this is how you treat me? One of the marks of what we value is how we respond when somebody doesn't treat us the way we are expecting or the way that we would want them to. This man doesn't defend. He doesn't attack. He doesn't plead. He doesn't beg. He doesn't even try to convince Jesus of how worthy he is. He doesn't say, oh, no, 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 you don't understand. Let let me tell you about who I am. Let me convince you that I am worthy of you healing my son. See, these are all the good things that, that I've done. And this is a life lesson for us because it's not just true in our relationship with God. This is also true in our relationship with one another. And unfortunately, I know this all too well because I have spent way too much of my life handling this in ways that should not have been handled in those ways. There is a time to explain ourselves. There is a time to have the humility of saying that we need to open up, but there is a difference between that and when we try to plead and beg or bribe or defend ourselves so that we can get what we want. You see, this man is so focused on, I just want my son well, that he doesn't get baited. He doesn't take the bait to be able to, to um, start getting off on a, on a tangent here. It doesn't, he doesn't use this as an opportunity to be calm about himself. You see, because his heart is for his son. That's the only reason he's there. His concern is not about justifying himself. It's not about explaining himself. It's not about looking good. It's not about appearances. It's not about upholding his reputation. It is nothing but love for his son. The more that someone engages in defensiveness, the more that they engage when they are in a desperate situation and they don't get the response and the treatment that they are wanting and or expecting, the more that they get irritated or angry or defensive or, or even pleading and or demanding, the more it's really be, it is an indication that that is about them and not about someone else not about love and care. It's not about the relationship. It's not about someone else's well-being. But this man demonstrates that he's there because of his love for his son. He doesn't take that bait. And instead what he says, Jesus, just please come and heal my son. Jesus hadn't said those words to that man to to set him up in some sort of of mean way. He He was testing his heart. He was demonstrating 
whether it was only with, with this man or if there were other people around and using this as an opportunity to challenge other people about what's really in your heart. Are you just looking for signs and wonders? Is that really what you're about? Because if you are, you're going to take offense when you don't get what you want. And in our own personal relationships, it's easy to say, oh, we're, we're just for another person or we're just for, you know, a healthy marriage or a healthy relationship with our child. But when we don't get the, the response that we want in a situation, that's when it's really going to come out as to what's really in our heart. Is it just for the health of the relationship? Is it just for the health and well-being of another person? And this man passes the test. And he's just like, Jesus, just please come soon because my son is about ready to die. And Jesus, with great compassion and kindness, says to him, go on your way. Your son will live. Very simple. All you have to do is turn around and go home. There's no magic potion. There's no, okay, I'm going to pack this up and you need to take this home and you need to make sure that you put this on him or that he eats this or drinks this for three days. Or, well, if you go to the temple first and you offer sacrifices or Jesus puts no requirement on this man to do anything but turn around and go home. You know, sometimes we think that when we come to God with a need, especially when we're in a desperate spot, that God is going to have all of these demands that he places on us. And we're going to need to do this. And we're going to need to fast for 40 days. And we're going to make sure that we need to read our Bible for this amount of time. Or we're going to need to really give a large amount of money. Or we're going to need to, I mean, we can just kind of fill in the blanks depending upon our our culture and our history and, and our beliefs. But you know, sometimes all that God wants us to do is just to believe. He wants us to show up, to ask for what we need. And when he says, I've met your need, he wants us to just go on home and just believe him. And that's exactly what this man does. He turns around and he goes home, not dejected, but believing. Does that mean that he had absolutely no doubts or no concerns? I don't know. Scripture doesn't really tell us that. But what we do know is that as he's on his way home, his servants come and meet him. And they say to him, guess what? Your son is well. Okay, there's been this abrupt turnaround. There's this change. And the man says, what time did this happen? And they tell him, and the man knows that was the exact time that Jesus had said, go home, your son is well. And as a result of that, not only did this man, but his entire household came to believe in Christ. Now, the second passage begins in chapter 5, and this is with a man who is healed that has had a, a disease for 38 years. Now, we don't know exactly how old this man was, so we don't know if this was from birth or if this had happened at a later point in his life, but he is at a place where he has been an invalid for 38 years. If you were an invalid, During the time of Christ, that meant that you were consigned to being a beggar. That meant that you lived with inadequate uh, food, nutrition. You weren't allowed to engage in social life. You were definitely not allowed to go into the, the temple to worship. 
So it was an incredibly hard, lonely life if you had any kind of disablement. And so Jesus goes, and this is in Jerusalem. This is the capital city. And there's a certain place. And it, it was a place that had these, these huge columns in this colonnade. And so it was probably a place of, of commerce and a place of business, a place where people gathered. And so why would you have a multitude of invalids there? Well, they would have been begging for just enough money to be able to, to buy some sort of food and just to stay alive. They were also there because there was a belief that th there was a body of a pool nearby, and there was a belief that um, there would be an, an angel that would come down and, and stir the waters. And if you made it to the pool in time, then you would be a lucky one who would be able to be healed. Now, just because people believe things doesn't make them true, okay? So just because be people believed and said that an angel comes down and stirs the waters, and if you're, if you're the first one there, then you get to be healed, doesn't make it true. When I was growing up, one of um, my pastors had a saying that said, you know, just because something jumps out from a bush and says hallelujah, it doesn't mean it's from God. And so just because something that can have the appearance of spirituality doesn't make it true. And so there's no indication at all that this was actual reality, that something that happened because God had, had set up kind of like this magic pool and once a year or whatever, he'd send an angel down. This was bad theology. Now, in in the last episode, we looked at Jesus encountering the Samaritan woman, the woman at the well, and, and the theology that was there. Bad theology has an impact. Yes, there are times that we don't get into needless arguments over theological issues, but there are also times that bad theology and a wrong understanding about God and how things work has a very real impact in people's lives. This man believed that his problem was that he just couldn't make it to the water fast enough. And so for 38 years, he had had this disability. Now, I don't know if he had been positioning himself at this location every day for 38 years, but however long it had been, his whole hope was invested in something that was never going to happen. We need to have a right understanding of what the gospel is and isn't so that we don't become a person like this man where we are handicapped in a certain area of our lives, whether that's spiritually, mentally, emotionally, relationally, financially, because we have a wrong understanding of how things actually work and we have bad theology. And Jesus asked this man a question, and he says, do you want to be healed? Why does he ask them that? I mean, doesn't it seem obvious? Well, no, because here's the truth. Do you know this? Do you know this is true? Because I'm going to tell you, everybody who is sick does not want to be well. I don't just mean physically, although that's true. I mean people who aren't well emotionally, people who aren't well mentally, people who aren't well relationally, everybody doesn't want to be well. You know why? Because wellness comes at a cost. A lot of times we make the mistake of assuming that everybody wants to be well 
but it is not true. Here's something that is true. Not being well has a payoff. Now, we don't talk about that very much, and we want to be very, very careful here that that we don't sit in judgment on other people, that we don't look at people who suffer with chronic illnesses or with ongoing relational or emotional or mental health struggles, and we just get tired or we get disgusted or we get frustrated because they just go on for so long and though they just obviously don't want things to change. We have to be very careful that we don't go to, to that extreme. But at the same time, we also have to embrace the other truth at the other end of that spectrum, which is not being well has a payoff. You know why? Because people don't expect as much from people who aren't well. Let me just say that again. Not being well has a payoff because people don't expect as much from someone who isn't well. It's also a really good way to get attention and sympathy. So we have to take ownership of our lives and we have to be courageously honest to say when we recognize that there are areas in our lives where we're not well, whether that's mentally, emotionally, relationally, spiritually, physically, Do we want to be healed? Do we want to be well? Jesus didn't ask that question just because he needed an opening line. He asked that question because it's a relevant question that everyone who is an invalid in some area of their life, and make no mistake, all of us are invalids or have been or will be in some aspect of our lives or another. And we all have to ask, answer the question, do we want to be healed? And it's interesting that this man doesn't really directly answer the question. He doesn't say, yes, 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 I do. And he says, but sir, I don't have anyone to carry me down to the water. You see, this man was so locked into the idea that his healing could only come one way. It had to come because he would make it to the water in time that when this angel showed up and stirred the water, that he would make it down there in time. He was locked in that healing was going to come in one way and one way only. And that was what he had fastened his hope to. Can I just tell you something? God is a creative, resourceful God, and he has all kinds of ways to bring healing into our lives, whether that's to us as an individual, whether that is into a relationship. And we do ourselves a disservice when we lock our mind into thinking that there's one way to health and healing, because there's more than one way. And so Jesus doesn't take the time to explain to him, guess what, guess what, fella, (laughs) Uh, that this whole angel coming down and stirring the water every year, um, you've been believing in something wrong for a long, long time. He He doesn't correct the man's thinking. Instead, he addresses the man's need. Now, certainly there's a time that God does correct our thinking about things, but what he says to him, he wants him to understand there's another way to healing. And so what he says to him is, get up, take up your bed, and walk. In so many of Jesus' 
statements about healing. It begins when Jesus gives an instruction that says, you got to do something. You have to take action. Jesus does not reach down, pick up this man, and stand him on his feet. He says, you get up, you pick up your bed, and you walk. Now, absolutely, Jesus heals the man and gives him the capacity to do what he otherwise would not have been able to do. But God's healing is not in lieu of, it's not a replacement for us taking agency to do what we have the capacity to do. It empowers us to be able to do what we can't do, but it's not a substitute for us doing what we have the ability to do. To put it another way, if I decide that I don't want to brush my teeth, God's not coming to brush them for me. I mean, they can rot and just fall out one by one or all of them at once, and I can just be going like this for the rest of my life, okay? Because God expects me to pick up my toothbrush and my toothpaste and actually brush my teeth. And so we need to understand and not look for God to say, uh, to give us an, an excuse to, to not be a participant and to use agency that he's given us to be a participant in our own healing, whether that's physical, whether that's emotional, mental, relational, or in any capacity. Okay, so this stirs up a situation. We're going to talk more about the, the fallout from this healing next time and in our next episode. So we're going to wrap up here for today. So remember this. There are times that we're going to come to God with a request, and Jesus, we, we may have an encounter, whether it's something that God speaks to us in our spirit, whether it's through a situation or a circumstance. So there's kind of a test, and we have to say, are, are we there because we love someone else and we have a need that is so great that we are willing to, um, to, to, for God to not show up in the way that we think, just like what happened with this officer from Capernaum, because we're just so focused on someone else getting well that we are willing to be, in effect, treated in a way that we don't think we necessarily deserve. And then also, are we wanting to really be well in every area of our life and are we willing to use our agency to be a participant in that healing? All right, my friend, we're going to wrap that up for today. We'll be back next week with another episode. If you haven't already, make sure to subscribe, leave a rating and a review. Reviews are awesome. They really help the algorithms that be to show this up so that other people can find this podcast and, um, and YouTube channel and be able to learn more about truth and to live effectively in life's key three areas, to learn yourself, to love God, and to live connected. So hop on over to stephaniepresents.com. You can sign up there for the Highlights newsletter, and you can also find out about resources and speaking engagements that I offer. Remember this, you have an impact that is immeasurable, eternal, and irreplaceable. Thank you for listening. For information on speaking engagements and other resources, visit the website at stephaniepresents.com. Remember, learn yourself, love God, and live connected.